God is not a God of disorder or confusion, but is the God of peace. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning stars rise in your hearts. You are tuning into the Tribe of Christians podcast with host Brandon Dawson, the chief sinner, bringing you a peace of mind, clarity, insight, and perspective to the world you live in by the word of God, featuring the latest updates on end time prophecy news. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe to the, to the Tribe, Tribe of Christians, Christians broadcast, either on Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Facebook, or YouTube at tribeofchristians.com. Without further ado, here is your host and teacher, The Chief Sinner. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians podcast. I'm your host and teacher, Brandon Dawson, the Chief Center. While researching Trump's Middle East peace plan, I have found an incredible discovery that reveals a hidden prophetic connection between the Palestinians and the Antichrist. I'm going to talk about this peace plan and reveal the prophetic connection between the Palestinians, the end times, and the identity of this little horn in Daniel chapter 9. It's great to be back again. We had a lot going on recently. We just relocated from New York City to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm super excited about that. And in the next few months or so, we'll be putting together a team and board members to expand our ministry abilities and open up an office here. Since our move, our computer also crashed and we had to raise the funds to purchase another one. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who helped us to raise the money for that and to get us back on the air. But I sincerely appreciate every single one of you, each and every one of you, especially those who have continued to listen to us, support us, and to follow us on our social media pages and also on YouTube. You have really helped us to make a difference and to reach those around us. Now, I started this ministry in 2017, not even realizing the full scope of what the Lord was going to do through this ministry. I had no idea that our messages would reach all around the world, including places like Africa, Germany, and Russia, Ireland, and Australia, and the UK, and India, all over the place. And so far, we have reached about 100 nations all over the world for the gospel message. So that's pretty awesome. And if the Lord permits, I'm really looking forward to expanding the Tribe of Christians ministry. So I originally had a much different message that I was going to preach concerning President Trump's Middle East peace plan that I wanted to give, which was focused on the coming revival. I was researching, and as I began to piece together this message, I received a much different revelation and word concerning this peace plan than what I anticipated. And as exciting as revival is, this new discovery is really big. It's a huge one. I spent several days in prayer and discovered the message that the Lord wanted me to preach was not the one about the coming revival, at least not yet, and not to worry because there most certainly is coming one of the most biggest revivals that we have ever seen since the creation of the church. And if you follow us on our messages, you'll know that revival has been a persistent theme 
that I have always taught on. And I also don't want to give any kind of false interpretations that I'm a doomsday preacher or doomsday prophet, but I have to stay true to the revelations and the words in which the Lord leads me to give. But regardless, there is always hope in Jesus. That's the center of our message, and it always will be, and there's always going to be hope. As long as we have him, there will always be a future. So this message, this revelation is an extremely big one. It's a revelation that I have never heard anybody ever preach on or teach before, and it's a significant discovery, I believe, really sheds light on a lot of things concerning the conflict going on in the Middle East. Now, on Tuesday, January 28th, concerning President Trump's Middle East peace plan, a published CBN News report reports saying that President Trump announced his Middle East peace plan that he calls a win-win for both sides, Israelis and Palestinians. With Israeli President Benjamin Netanyahu at his side in the East Room of the White House and evangelical leaders looking on, Trump said that the plan is significantly different from past failed efforts. The president emphasized what the plan means for both sides. For Israel, the president said that Jerusalem will remain its undivided capital and that security will remain paramount. Or paramount. And that's very, very important, very significant in uh, thinking about when it comes to the end times. And I'll explain a little bit on that later. Now, we will not allow a return to the days of bloodshed, bus bombings, and nightclub attacks and relentless terror, Trump said. It won't be allowed. Peace requires compromise, but we will never ask Israel to compromise its security. Can't do that. Now, for the Palestinians, the president said that the plan would double their territory and put their capital in east outskirts of Jerusalem. He said the plan's vision will encourage $50 billion in commercial investment by U.S. allies to the Palestinians. Now, over the next 10 years, if executed well, 1 million new Palestinian jobs will be created, the president noted. Their poverty rate will be cut in half, and their poverty rate is uh, their poverty rate is unacceptable. The GDP will double and triple, and the plan more than doubles the territory currently under Palestinian control, and it even provides a means of connecting the two Palestinian-held areas of Gaza and the West Bank. It also recognizes Israeli sovereignty over major settlement blocks in the West Bank, and it calls for a four-year freeze in the new Israeli settlement construction, during which time details of a comprehension agreement would be negotiated. Israel recaptured the West Bank in 1967, the Six-Day War, and the Jordan Valley in particular, and is considered a vital security asset. Now, security responsibility for the Jordan Valley would remain in Israel's hands for the foreseeable future, but could be scaled back as the Palestinian state builds its capacity under the terms of the plan, which says that statehood would be contingent on the Palestinians meeting international governance criteria. Now, under the terms of the peace vision that Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, has been working on for nearly three years, the future Palestinian state would consist of the West Bank and Gaza connected by a combination of above-ground roads and tunnels. Now, Netanyahu said that his main political challenger in March elections, Benny Gantz, oh, they both have signed off and agreed on the plan. Now, Netanyahu said he would move forward on Sunday and ask his cabinet to approve 
plans to annex West Bank territory. Now, I want to be very clear and to the point about this. President Trump is not the Antichrist. Jared Kushner is not the Antichrist. And this peace plan is not the seven-year peace plan prophesied about by Daniel. There are seven reasons for it, and I'll get into some of them. But it was through this peace plan that the Lord spoke to me. This peace plan, just like all the other peace plans proposed before it, by previous U.S. administrations, honestly, on the most part, really isn't anything new that we haven't seen or heard before, other than a few exceptions. And those exceptions are actually pretty significant, but this peace plan has actually been around for a while. Now, it favors a two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinians, just like all the other proposals, except this one actually puts forth a real plan for statehood for the Palestinians and offers them the funds and resources for statehood. $50 billion, you know, that's a lot. And this plan also acknowledges Israeli sovereignty over Jerusalem, which is a pretty big deal too. Now, the proposed area for the Palestinian state would be majority of the West Bank, which is Judea, giving the capital just eastward outside of Jerusalem. Now, there's a very strong connection between Jerusalem, the West Bank, and the Palestinians that does, in fact, predate Israel. But we know from Scripture that God led the Israelites by the leadership of Joshua through conquest, inheriting the land from the Lord. Now, to fully understand the conflict here and what's going on, and to truly appreciate and understand the prophetic events which are unfolding here, we have to understand who the Palestinian people are and where this conflict actually comes from. And by understanding who the Palestinians are, who the Bible says they are, and by understanding this conflict, we're going to gain the revelation and the understanding about the Palestinians' true connection to the end times and the Antichrist. Now, the Palestinians aren't connected to the descendants of Ishmael, unlike the majority of the Muslim people are in the Middle East. The Palestinians have a much deeper, ancient, and longer history that predates Ishmael and actually Israel. Now, the name Palestine derives from Philistia, the name given by the Greek writers to the land of the Philistines, who are in the 12th century BCE occupied a small pocket of land on the southern coast between where Tel Aviv and Gaza is. So the name Palestine is Greek in itself, and that's extremely important to know and understand when it comes to the perspective of Daniel's prophecy concerning the final empire which is going to rise in the end times. Now, although it's widely believed that today's Palestinians aren't the same exact people today as the Philistines were in the biblical times, they do come from a similar heritage in the same area from Egypt and Canaan. So the Philistines are, or they were one of the sworn enemies of Israel that the Lord did not completely drive out of Israel for three reasons. And one of those reasons is that it will lead to the tribulation period, and that's very important. We're mostly familiar with the Philistines from the story of David and Goliath, and prophetically, that story has a lot to do with the end times. This constant conflict between Judah and Philistines, the house of David, 
Jerusalem, and the Philistines. And this is the theme that we're seeing right now over the fight for Jerusalem. Now, the Bible tells us that after Joshua and the Jewish people inherited their land through conquest, God did not completely drive out all of the Philistines. The Philistines were one of the enemies which God allowed to remain in the land of Israel, and they are still present to this day, but they're known as the Palestinians. Now, there are three reasons why God did not fully drive out the Philistines, which, as I mentioned, the third reason is the main purpose and reason that leads to the end times, the seven-year tribulation period. Now, according to Exodus chapter 23, verses 29 through 30, and also Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 22 through 23, the very first reason God did not completely drive out the Philistines was to protect them from the wild beast and the land. God told them, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild animals multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you become fruitful and multiply. Now, that in itself is a very powerful message concerning patience and faith. Now, part of the reason that God allows some of the obstacles in your life to remain is for your benefit, to protect you and for you to prosper, for you to gain your footing until you're able to succeed and multiply. Now, the second reason, according to Judges chapter 3, verse 1, that God allowed the Philistines to remain was to teach godly warfare to the new generations of Israel. Now, Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, it says, These were the nations the Lord permitted to remain so he could use them to test Israel. He wanted to test all those who had not experienced battle against the Canaanites. He left those nations simply because he wanted to teach the subsequent generations of Israelites who had not experienced the earlier battles and how to conduct holy warfare. Now, this is another reason why God will allow some enemies to remain or rise up in your life, and that's for the purpose of training and edification to teach us how to fight godly and spiritual warfare. And this is where we experience the victories uh, in battles, how to teach us to win these battles and to walk with the Lord in faith. Now, thirdly, the third reason that God allowed the Philistines remain is because of result of the sin of Israel and the disobedience. God allowed the Philistines to remain for the purpose of testing and for tribulation. For testing and tribulation is the consistent prophetic end time theme with Israel, especially concerning the seven year tribulation period. Now, Judges chapter 2, verse 20 through 21, it says, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he said, because this nation has violated the covenant, okay? That's the theme that we're going to see, and that's what, exactly what happens in the seven-year tribulation period. Because they have violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors, that's concerning their land, and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it, as their ancestors did. Now, this is the third reason. This is the third purpose and the main primary reason and purpose in which the Philistines are still present to this day in Israel, also known as the Palestinians. And it's also one of the reasons why 
In our own lives, we're not able to prevail against some of the enemies or obstacles because of the presence of sin or disobedience in our life. Now, it's according to Joel chapter 3. In Joel chapter 3, when, is, when Jerusalem and Israel is divided up, the land is divided up and given to the Palestinians, that is when the Lord's anger will be provoked, which triggers the tribulation period. After the coming of the Lord, when Jesus came to the earth, it was during the Roman Empire, God allowed the second temple to be completely destroyed, and Israel was sent into captivity for nearly 2,000 years without their homeland. Now, through the events of World War I and World War II, and through the help of the United States, God restored Israel to statehood in 1948, and then he began bringing his people back home. Now, however, Israel was not fully restored, and they did not have full sovereignty over their land, including Jerusalem. It wasn't until nearly 20 years later during the Six-Day War Israel was actually able to recapture Jerusalem, the West Bank, and Golan Heights from Syria, Egypt, and Palestine, and to reestablish new borders, which have predominantly remained in effect to this day. Now, since the capturing of Jerusalem in 1967, Jerusalem has been extremely controversial over land rights, including three areas of Israel being the West Bank, Gaza, and the Golan Heights. And over the past 20 years, Israel has slowly gained traction and momentum into annexing land and settlements in these areas. But essentially, the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, or Israel and the Philistines, is still present to this day for the mere purpose of testing and tribulation, which ultimately feeds into the seven-year tribulation period, which will be led by the Antichrist. Now, this peace plan the one that President Trump has put forward, predominantly focuses on Jerusalem. And there is a purpose and a reason for that. Now, unfortunately, there will, there will without a doubt, eventually be a two-state solution. Now, the book of Daniel, chapter 9, also Joel, chapter 3, prophesies that Israel will be divided up by the revived Greek-Roman Empire. And a peace plan is brokered among them, by the Antichrist. Take a look. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It tells us, In those days, and at the time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, Judah or Judea is the West Bank. So we know that God will first restore Israel. He'll first restore Judea and Jerusalem, meaning that there's not going to be a two state solution. Israel will be in peace and prosperity. He says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance and my people because they scattered my people among the nations and they divided up my land. Okay, that's verse 2. They divided up his land. That's the reason that tribulation comes. Now they cast lots for my people. They traded boys for prostitutes and they sold girls for wine to drink. Now what if you have to say against me, try and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia. Are you repaying me for something I've done? Are you repaying me back? Or I will swiftly and speedily return to you on your own heads for what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. Now this passage is speaking in future reference Future tense, and that's 
and that's concerning the end times. And it identifies the revived empire as a Greek empire, the Greek Roman Empire led by the Antichrist. And it clearly identifies who those nations are. In verse 4, it says, Palestine. It specifically mentions Palestine, Syria, Lebanon, and Iran. And they move to attack Jerusalem, who are spearheaded by Palestine. Now, this event is also identified in Daniel chapter 9, when the Antichrist breaks his seven-year peace treaty three and a half years into this agreement. Now, I'm not really sure why no one has ever realized this and why so many have missed this incredible, crucial clue which identifies where the Antichrist comes from. It's so clear as day to me that he will come from Palestine, not Iraq, not Iran, not Israel, not Turkey, not Syria, not Jordan. But according to this passage, the Antichrist will be from Palestine. Now we know from the book of Daniel chapter 7 that there were four empires that came to power. Five if you count the Assyrian Empire, but in order, in their order, they are Babylon, Persia, Greek, and Rome. And in Daniel's vision, it is revealed that the fourth empire is the empire of the beast, in which the Antichrist will rule from during the seven-year tribulation period, which is outlined in chapter 9. Now, chapter 9, verse 23 through 25. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth, trampling trampling them down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. And from them, another king will arise. Different from the other ones, he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws. And the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and a half a time. That's three and a half years. Now, according to Daniel chapter 9, God's judgment towards Israel was to serve under captivity for a period of 70 weeks of seven under captivity known as the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Now the Jews were under the captivity of the Roman Empire in their 69th week, which is a period of seven years. Each, each week is seven years. Um, we actually did a teaching on this. You can go back and look it up on our website on Daniel 70. Prophecy of the 70 weeks, but they're in their 69th week when Jesus came. They were under Roman captivity. And after the death and the resurrection of Christ, the 70th week was put on pause. It was never fulfilled. There's a, so that me, means that there's a remaining of seven years. And during that time period, eventually the Roman Empire dissipated to where the gospel message was able to flourish and spread throughout the entire world. Now, a consistent theme that we see throughout history, throughout the entire history of Israel and the empires, is the timing in which God brings about judgment, restitution, and deliverance. Whenever God wants to deal with sin with a particular nation or people, he will wait until that people or nation have reached a fullness point of sin, what he calls uh, the fullness of sin. And oftentimes, God will use other nations or people to carry out that judgment. Now, for example, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God is speaking with Abraham, and he prophesies to Abraham, saying, And the fourth generation, your descendants, will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites have not reached its full measure. Okay, that's concerning 
the Egyptian captivity of the Israelites right before Moses came. Now, God used Joshua through conquest as a form of judgment towards the Amorites once their sin reached a fullness. And it was through that judgment in which Israel received their deliverance out of captivity from Egypt. So in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, we see a very similar and very similar situation in the end times. Jesus tells us in verse 24 concerning when the end will come. He says, they'll fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners. That's under captivity to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In other words, you can say until the sin has reached a boiling point. So that's when the second coming of Jesus will happen. And that is when the tribulation period will be triggered. Zechariah chapter 12, Luke chapter 21, Daniel chapter 9, and even Joel chapter 3 all prophesy about this coming destruction of Jerusalem in Judea. There's a lot of speculation and theory out there concerning the final world empire and where it will originate from. Many people claim that it's the United States or and some teach it'll be the Greek Roman Empire. It comes back to life and it will reign. And I believe that it will. It'll be a form of the Roman Greek Empire. But as, as Daniel prophesied, it will not be the, the same. It will be different than how everything else was. And that's because it'll be led by Palestine. And instead of Greek mythology, it's Islam. Now, Daniel chapter 9 tells us that the nation that produces the Antichrist will be a little or small horn, a little nation. And Palestine at the moment isn't even a nation yet. Now, in Daniel chapter 11, 21, describes the characteristics that suitably fit Palestine, this little horn. Listen to this. Daniel chapter 11, 21 through 24. Now, he will, he will not be given the honor of royalty. That sounds exactly like Palestine. He will, be, he will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure and he will seize it through intrigue. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and its prince of the covenant will be destroyed. And after coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully and will only a few people, he will rise power. When the richest providences are, feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve that neither his fathers nor his pre-fathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. That sounds exactly like socialism. Now, he will plot the overthrow of the fortress, but only for a time. Now, also, listen to verses 31 through 39. This detailly, detailly explains his characteristics. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will Abolish the daily sacrifice. That was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. There it is again. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who will rise will instruct many through for a time. They will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. And when they fall, they will receive a little help or no help at all. Many who are not sincere, will join him. So the wise will stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. 
Now this king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors. Okay, I believe that's in reference to Islam. Or for the one desired by women. Nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortress, a god unknown to his ancestors. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mighty the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. So in other words, Israel will be up for sale. And we know from Joel chapter 3, as I mentioned before, that it tells us that before the land is divided up, Judah and Jerusalem is prospered and reestablished. Now, this is why it's so important for us to pay attention to what's happening in Israel and Jerusalem. Because Jesus told us in Matthew 24 that when the fig tree, as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that the summer is near. And even so, when you see these things, you know that it's near right at the door. And truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, the fig tree represents Israel, and its leaves represent prosperity. When we see the prosperity of Israel and Jerusalem, not only do we know that the season is upon us, but that this generation will not pass away until all other prophecies have been fulfilled. Now, to me, not only is that an indicator that we are that generation, and of the coming end times, but it also tells me that the rapture is also true. It says it will not pass away until prophecy is fulfilled. And for that to happen, we have to be preserved. And that's exactly what happens in the rapture. So Jerusalem and Israel will be restored and must be restored first before anything else takes place. And that's what we've been seeing and that's what we're witnessing with Jerusalem. And when Israel is in its full prosperity, that's when Palestine will make its move and the tribulation period will begin. So it's very clear to me who the Palestinians are, that they're the ancient Philistines who have been Israel's sworn enemy, the enemy of David. And it's clear to me from the passages of Judges right there in chapter 2 that God has purposed Palestine, the Philistines, for the purpose of testing. So it's without a doubt in my mind that it is in fact Palestine who is that little horn that will rise up out of those ten nations, out of this empire. Now, but before any of that happens, like I said before, Jerusalem will be fully restored along with Judea and its wealth. And I believe that that is beginning to happen. And that indicates one of the greatest revivals is about to come that we've ever seen. And Zechariah prophesies that he also prophesies that there will be this pouring out of this spirit that is like David, this warrior-like spirit. And we literally just published a video of President Trump's impeachment victory where you will hear him several times describe this warrior-like mindset of people 
that have helped him to get through this testing period. And it's so important to watch that because if you haven't, we've got it posted right there on our Facebook page, on our website, and also on YouTube. Go listen to it because I posted it because the Lord revealed to me a sign in which revival and unity would come. And that sign would be through Trump's impeachment attempt. And because the Bible prophesies in Zechariah chapter 12 that it's this warrior spirit is poured out, I know that it's upon us. And I believe that God is about to use this ministry, the tribe of Christians for mighty things all around the world and to reach many people. And I believe we're about to see a rise in all these new different type of evangelists and prophets and pastors and teachers with all these different out Christianity outside of the box kind of things. And I believe the church is about to go through one of the greatest transitions we've ever seen since the beginning of the church. Christianity without borders or limits, without walls. It'll be true apostles and true disciples. Now some people believe that things are only going to get darker. It's only going to get more evil and worse the closer we get. And although it is true, it is true that evil is going to prosper. And it's going to get evil like never before. But we know according to the parable of what Jesus gave us, the wheat and the tares, the church and the love of Christ will also prosper until we are harvested, until the rapture takes place. We both grow together. We both prosper. Now it's not over it. There is still hope. There's a lot of hope. And as I said in the beginning of this message, as long as we have Christ, there is hope. As long as we are in Christ, there is hope. There's a lot of work to be done, and it's only just the beginning. Now, before we close, I'd like to pray with you, and I'd like to extend to you an invite for you to please reach out to me. Please send me a message. I believe God is calling for so many people. He's putting a place on their, uh, a calling on their lives. And if you're contemplating that calling to serve, I want to reach out to you. And I want to ask you, please send me an email. Get in touch with me through our website or on Facebook. I want to get to know you. And I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. And I want to support you and find a place for you to serve. And as I mentioned, as I mentioned before, we're working to expand this ministry's capabilities. And we're going to need a lot of help. Dear Heavenly Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your son Jesus, for dying on the cross and for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for your precious word and for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for your continual grace to be renewed for us and help us to abide in your grace and in your love. I ask that you please continue to guide and lead each and every single one of us according to your plans and purposes. Lord, I ask that you bring healing to those who are in need of it, deliverance to those in oppression and captivity, and saving to those in great need. You said our, by your stripes we are healed, and that anyone who calls upon your name will be saved. I also pray for the continual guidance and direction of the leadership of our nations and communities. And please help to lead this ministry. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now you can find more great teachings just like this one on our website at tribeofchristians.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on YouTube. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and share this message to help us spread the gospel message throughout the world. Now this concludes this episode. I am the Chief Sinner, 
with the tribe of Christians. And may God continue to bless you and be with you always.